All right. Thank you, choir, soloist, praise band, orchestra, for bringing it before our Lord. How many of you came in in a fog today? <laughs> Not the weather. You knew, you knew what I'm talking about. Not the weather fog. My biological clock <clears throat> didn't care that the government said to turn it ahead an hour. Because at 3.40, I was like that, looking at that clock that still said four, uh, still said the wrong time on it. So we had turned it back. It said 3.40 on it. But, of course, as you know, thank God for our smartphones, smarter than me many times. It just sets it right ahead, right? So if you fall asleep, I get it. If you brought a sandwich in here to eat, I get it. I, uh, I'm on a different time length also. And I do have a sandwich in my pocket. No, I don't. Good to see you. And maybe one day we'll have that all fixed up where we don't do this thing. Right? Maybe you should put that as one of our... They have all these other things for taxes and everything on there or bonds. Some of them are really good. How about... Let's leave it where it is right now. Right? Let's do it. Or decide, let's do it on Monday at 11 o'clock and go right to lunch. How was that? <laughs> right? You've got, got to do it. Keep changing it. Do it that way. Anyway, enough nonsense. Well, actually not enough. Bubba, Bubba did, on the day that he was not going to his own, his own church, his friend Cletus invited him to go to his church. Now, this is a small community, as you know. Bubbaville ain't big. It's small. And so Bubba, being a good friend of Cletus, decides he'll go to visit Cletus's church. Bragged, bragged about his pastor, about the preaching, about the music. Bubba goes there. Can't wait to hear Cletus's preacher. Preacher gets up. Five minutes later, he ends with a prayer. Bubba's kind of amazed, and Cletus doesn't know what to do. It's like... 40 minutes before the service is supposed to end. You know the story's not true, right? <laughs> you know the sermon ends like that. But pastor just looks at everybody and says, I know you're disappointed and everything, but you're not going to believe it. This will sound like an excuse, but I'm telling you what's true. Late last night when I was already asleep, my dog came in here and chewed up my entire sermon. Well... Bubba's a thinking man. The pastor goes on and says, since we have so much time, we have time for a testimony or two from some of y'all out there. Anybody have anything they want to say? And of course, Bubba's hand shot right up, looked at that pastor eyeball to eyeball and said, preacher, if your dog ever has puppies, give one to my preacher. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's bad, but... We woke up a little bit more, right? We get oxygen going, flowing through our brain. Excuses. People can make excuses for lots of different things. There's probably not too many people here who don't have an excuse for something regarding your grades, your commitment to Christ, your marriage, your dating life, whatever it is. We, there seems to be a something in the human DNA, unless it is controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, that we will vouch for ourselves, right? 
make an excuse. Today's message, there's a message inside of a mess. The motif, what are you waiting for? It seems that there's a lot to learn when we're humble, doesn't it? There's a lot to learn when we are humbled. Humbling will do a couple of things in the lives of people. It'll either make you bitter or better. You'll either come across life looking at it and saying, you know what? There's some great things I learned in this. Or you'll get really bitter and you'll feel like God's not fair. Why did this happen to me? Why am I, why am I on this path of life? And the bottom line is when we look at Moses, we find someone that could have made a lot of excuses. There's a lot to learn when we're humbled. In Exodus 3.1, the Word of God says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It's Mount, well, you've heard of Mount Sinai. It's the same thing. By the way, simulcast folks, thank you for joining us today. As we go along in our third in this series, there's the message inside of a mess. So Moses is in a humbling position. He goes from the palace to shepherding sheep in a great, great, beautiful, lush locale we're going to look at in a minute. And go ahead, you can bring it on up. We came to Horeb, the mountain, Mount Sinai. Here's this beautiful location. Where's the, where's the, is that not coming on? There, it's, there's one over there. Isn't that beautiful? It looks like the moon. Look at all this lush green land here. But there's Mount Sinai, and there it is over there. And you can see he goes from here over in Egypt, comes around, and this is Mount, this is all down here. This place, you know, there's some can, people that have this conspiracy idea that we didn't really land on the moon. Well, if they were going to do it, they could have filmed it right there, right? And... We can see from this place, and you can bring up more of a topographical type of map. Isn't that look beautiful and lush? It looks like the back of an elephant or something like that. It just, there's not a whole lot happening there. This is where Moses is tending sheep. And you can understand they'd need some tending to find a bush or something to eat out there, something to drink. And there were different places out there where some water would settle and they'd get rain and all, but... It's not a great, great place. What are you waiting for? See, what good could possibly come from Moses' demotion? What's going to happen from this? He already had power. He had prestige. He had connections to Pharaoh. Now he doesn't have that. But last week we looked at the fact that at least now he has some shelter. He has a wife, son, and at least he has a job. Not a great job, but he's a shepherd. And Isaiah 55, 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. God had a plan for Moses. Moses couldn't see it yet, could he? God has a plan for us, doesn't he? You may not see it. And you may think, this is the hardest season of my life. It seems like doors are closing, life is hard, but sometimes God just says, I want to develop you for you pushing on through. I want you to be there. My ways are above your ways, and I've seen all of your days, and I have a plan for you, but I want you to listen because it's on the cusp of those hard times, those humbling times, that you will learn 
So Moses learned a tremendous amount about the desert because he doesn't know that after spending 40 years there that he's going back for another 40 years, does he? How about that? But Moses spent 40 years there. Now, one good thing about it, when they're going over into this land, Moses knows something about it by now, doesn't he? He pro- to me, it all looks the same, but he must know this is where the past is rise over here. There's some water, there's some bushes, there's some places. Over here. He knew all about it, but he's going back to that place, and he could, ne- he could never. Who could figure he's going back to a place like that? This is Midian, by the way. This is a modern picture of that where he is uh, ministering. If you can bring up that photo, please. Thank you. There it is. That lush place. So let's go under a tree and have a picnic lunch. Where? By the time you find one, it's long gone, isn't it? There's some people going across in a camel there. This land, to me, I know there's some people that probably like it and enjoy that. To me, it looks... Yuck. But anyway, there he was for all of that time. You can see something in the background there. It looks familiar. Well, deserts are pretty isolated places, aren't they? You could be sometimes, you don't have to be in a desert to be isolated. You can be right in the middle of this group right here, right now. You may be watching at home with six other people or something, or, but you can be in a lonely place. Because if you're a leader, leadership by nature can be very lonely. It is because many times you're making decisions, whether you're a leader in your family, in your university, high school, middle school, workplace, neighborhood, you're a leader. And it can be isolated and very lonely in the position of leadership. And people can make excuses for things, can't we? We're excuse makers. How many have ever heard of a baseball player by the name of Ted Williams? What's he pretty famous for? Anybody know? 400 batting average twice. Wasn't it twice? Home run last time at bat. Pretty amazing career. 19 years. He averaged on a 19-year... Boston, right. I I have got to give him... You got to give credit where credit's due. 19 years, I believe his lifetime average was 344. It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. But do you know, and this is the difference in some of the way we do things in our world. There was one year that he didn't hit over 300. Only one. And at the end of the season, he went into management, and I wrote down the quote, because it's from Newsweek 1991 when they're interviewing him. July 29, 1991, page 13. It said that he walked in and demanded a pay cut. He said, I looked straight in the eyes, management, and said, I'm taking a $35,000 cut. Maybe that's why in all the years up to that, that he never hit below 300. (laughs) He wasn't an excuse maker. He took a cut. That happens a lot today, doesn't it? Huh? Even have to show up anymore? Anyway, I just thought it was interesting regarding excuses, what can happen. I think that's why he never did, only except that once and all the season before. He didn't give himself wiggle room, excuses. 
We talk about deserts and isolated places. You may be in an isolated place right now. Once again, isolated places are places we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot about dependence. We can learn a lot about ourselves. And it's there we learn about, well, about the nature of God. Because when you are in a lonely, isolated place, you will either turn inside and you will try to focus on what? Finding some way to get better through a substance, through a person, through something else, or you'll turn to God. I've been in those lonely, isolated places. I've been alone in a parking lot having, getting ready to move a family across the United States to a big old state called Texas. You know how hard it is? We don't know one person in one of the biggest states we have. Sitting out there in the back parking lot of some place in the pouring rain, freezing cold weather in Texas. I know you, a lot of people think it's more tropical climate. In the winter, some of you that have been there, the saying was the only thing between Texas and, a barb, and the North Pole is a barbed wire fence. It's true. And when it's raining and 39 degrees or so out, it's like, ugh, it's yucky. I remember being in a parking lot thinking, what, what, what am I getting ready to do? I just came out here with a trailer, going to go back and get a truck and move my family to a place. I didn't even have a place to move them to. And I began to question in my mind, and just there was nothing else left to pray except to pray a prayer of humility before God. God, I need your help. It was shortly after that. I looked at a number I'd written down from a newspaper. I called it, and it happened to be a woman who was a Christian. I called her and told her, I said, I'm here for seminary. I'm getting ready to go back and move my family out to a storage unit. I got no place to live. I didn't let you live in one of those, by the way. I asked. <laughs> but um, when I called and said that, she said, I'm a Christian. I know of this house coming available now. And sure enough, that's where we moved. And by the way, as I've shared time before, that parking lot I was in where I wonder, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Where is this thing? As I drove to the front, I saw it's a Baptist church. That's where I was serving before I came here. I didn't even know I'd be serving there. And sometimes in the wilderness, you'll find the midst, in the midst of it, you'll see the hand of God and the blessing of God. Look for that in the midst of some of the hardest times you have. God doesn't need more theoreticians out there. He needs practitioners. And that's how God takes us in that way. So what did Moses learn in that isolation? He's tending sheep. What could he possibly learn from tending sheep, right? And the redundancy of that. Let's bring up some of those things. First of all, he learned something about bravery. And because you have to be brave when you're out there with robbers, wild animals. Let's look at David. David learned something about bravery when he was tending sheep. But David said to Saul, by the way, when no one would fight Goliath, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep or the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, the hair struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God, not the fake God this guy worships. And let's take a look at the giant he had to face. There's a little bit of a scale drawing here. We understand the average size of a soldier, height about 5'8". Goliath can conservatively be there, could be taller, but that's almost four feet. Imagine a little two-foot toddler standing next to me right now, right? Can you imagine? David got his victory 
through understanding some dynamics of leadership. He learned bravery out there in the midst of his country tending sheep. Bring up the next slide if you would. As we look and see the life of, of a shepherd, what else can you learn from that? Beyond bravery, you can learn something else that's very, very important. Don't let your giants be bigger than God. God is bigger than all the giants we'll ever have. And ironically, it was giants that kept Israel a whole generation, except Joshua and Caleb, all the adults, kept them from going into the promised land. Pretty ironic, isn't it? In Numbers 13, 31 through 33, the Word of God says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Enoch come from Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So even though God did all these crazy plagues and miracles, part of the sea leads us by a pillar of God did all these miracles and said to go, but we don't want the battle. We're not going. We got this far, and we let some people stop us when God gave us a green light. Ladies and gentlemen, if God gives you the green light, don't let anybody stand in your way. When you get the green light from God, go. You don't have to figure it out. You have to say, well, this doesn't make sense. You go with God. What are you waiting for. God gave him that light. Well, as we look at some other qualities that come from leadership, I want you to look at this great quality called watchfulness. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Moses had to learn something about watchfulness. As he's getting ready to watch a million and a half, two million, 1.3, a whole bunch of people. You have to learn to almost sleep with one eye open to look out to see are robbers coming? Is there another animal coming? Are they falling into a ditch? Where are they going? He learned something about watchfulness. Bring up the next thing. The next quality, tenderness. John 10, 11, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Moses had to learn about that. You make an exchange of your life for an animal. It was the job of the shepherd to protect the sheep at all cost. David knew something about that. He fought a lion and a bear. No doubt had to head off some of those that would seek to even rob them. And that's where Moses learned something about tenderness. You see, the shepherd, if you bring up that next slide, knew something about fellowship and relationship. Because when you tend those little things, well... Jesus said in John 14, uh, 10, 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and, and my sheep know me. It's relationship. And so those shepherds would give a name to each one of the little sheep. There's droopy eye. There's hard of hearing. There's limpy. There's big, big wool. There, whatever. I don't know how you can think of all names, but they did. Follower. There's dumb head. There, whatever. But you develop something because when you're shepherding people, there's dumb head and grumpy and follower and whatever, right? And all those kinds of dynamics that exist. 
that he goes before these people and they learn because they are, they are cute, aren't they? And many times one of those sheep would continue to wander off and just wouldn't listen. That shepherd would have to go and take it by its leg and break it right in his hands. That just makes me sick thinking about it. But they would do it for the good of the sheep. Then he would bind it and carry it. It would learn not to wander off anymore. Moses learned a lot about leadership through shepherding. He learned about watchfulness, bravery, fellowship, tenderness. Because you need that. They're qualities of leaders, Christian leaders, believing leaders, God-fearing leaders. What is God preparing you for? What is God preparing you for? You see, when you believe God for great things, He will put you through some of the tests in life that are not easy. Many times, the more difficult the test, the bigger the blessing that's coming your way. When you step into those roles in life and you do them with the dignity of a believer, God says, I've got a promotion for you. And usually it's not on the heels of some type of great success. It's sometimes on the heel of sacrifice, of humbling, of stepping out in faith. Say, God, I'm stepping out with you. Let me ask you something. What are you waiting for? God wants us to be faithful in the little things, the little things in life. And God was preparing Moses for the biggest leadership assignment of his life. Not a clue. Because remember, he leaves the land, leaving his family, leaving the palace, and leaving with dashed dreams. I thought I was going to be able to lead my people out of this place and use my power to do that. Now I'm in exile. I murdered someone, and I'm out there living in... Well, you saw the place. From the lush Nile and the trees growing up and all the food and servants bringing in food, now I'm in the land of... Well... West Texas, right? No, I'm in the land of Midian. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Why does Jesus say that? Because you've been faithful with a few things. You see, what God calls what he's brought our way is a few things. Now watch. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Bring up the next slide. So what does God want us to do? Be faithful in little things. You see, watching sheep from where Moses came from was a little thing. Wasn't any great thing we put this on my resume so I can go lead a million and a half people. What'd you do before this? What were you doing? Uh, I was out in this desert uh, tending sheep. Oh, really? Yeah, well, come see us uh, another time when your resume gets something on it. Looks like you're a leader. But you see, God's leadership path typically looks different for all people because God works with us individually. God's leadership path in your life may look very different. And some of you say, well, I would never go down that path. I wouldn't go down that path, and many of us wouldn't choose the path. But God uses those different things in our lives, the sacrifice we made. He stretches us so we can really be used. And you will typically find in those areas where you've been really stretched and you've listened to God, God has incredible things in store for you. He just does. What does Jesus say in Luke 16, 10? Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted also, can be also trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. He said, be faithful where you are. 
Trust me when things don't look good. Trust me when your human vision begins to fail and lose faith. Trust me in the midst of all of that. See, it took 40 years to make Moses usable. Isn't that crazy? Some of us in this room would say, we'll give him six months. If he can get that much experience, he'll be all right. But you see, God was preparing people too, wasn't he? He also was waiting for Pharaoh to die so he doesn't go back and get killed. We can't see all those different things that God already sees before us. God sees them, and he's preparing you and continues to prepare us for bigger and better things, whatever that is. I don't have to know what it is. I just know what God is about, and that's what he's about. Be faithful today in the little things. What is God preparing you for? And what are you waiting for? God has a plan. Well, bottom line is, when you think about the life of Moses, and most people, even that are not religious people, are familiar with Moses. They know the name, know what he did. And Moses didn't have a pristine life, did he? Didn't get everything right. He had some bumps in the road, didn't he? But what I love... What I really love about this passage, also there's a New Testament passage, I believe in the book of Acts, that talks, I no, maybe I think it's the book of Hebrews, where God calls Moses faithful. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. God didn't bring up his sins. God didn't bring back the murder. God didn't bring back the strike in the rock. God didn't bring back those places along the road where Moses just didn't get it right. God says, and listen, this, this is so redemptive, I love this. Because every one of us has bumps in the roads, right? We've doubted God a little bit, or maybe not verbally in our minds, how's he going to do this one? Well, I'm just going ahead anyway. And God shows us some crazy thing that he does. This is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. God calls him faithful. So dear friend, don't think because something has happened in your life, College student, high school student, single adult, married adult. Don't think because something happened in your life, it discounts you from being great in the kingdom of God. God wants all of his children to be great. But we do it a different way. Mankind says do it with things you can see, things you know. Bring it to yourself. God said if you want to be great, be a servant. And that's where God took Moses. Serve sheep. Pick them up, care for them, lead them. And when they're stinking and when they're not stinking, be with them. And so it begs a real question for all of us. Can God call you faithful? God's not going to remember that other part. As long as we keep going through. Let your life stand for something that is faithful. A man by the name of Lee Strobel tells an incredible story in a dynamic he did on God's outrageous claims back in about the mid-90s. He talks about this boy that's waiting in the middle of this street, in the middle of a city, standing there. And an older gentleman standing off to the side finally gets his curiosity gets the best of him and he goes up to the boy and says son can I ask you what you're waiting for here so I'm waiting for the bus 
man looks at him and says, son, the bus is two blocks down. If you're waiting for that bus, it'll be coming soon. You need to go down two blocks. That's where that bus stop is. The young man acknowledges him, thanks him. The older man goes back next to the store where he was waiting, and the boy never moves. He goes back again, a little more animated. He said, did you hear what I said? This is not a bus stop. You need to go down a couple of blocks. The bus stop there, it's going to be coming soon. Go down there a couple of blocks. Just wait by that sign. Young man acknowledges him again, thanks him, and the man goes back, leans against the building. Young man doesn't move. This time, the man gets really mad because he finds his boy arrogant, self-centered, and won't listen to anybody. And he goes and scolds him. I told you, you can fill in all the blanks. The young man just looks at him and doesn't move. In frustration, the man starts to walk away and gets 100, 150 feet away from the boy when he hears the screeching noise. If you had to guess, what do you think it is? Who said an owl? No, it's a, it's a bus. The bus stops right in front of where that boy is. The man's looking at this whole thing, totally puzzled. And as the boy begins to step forward, looking at that man, he says, the bus driver is my father. (laughs) What are you waiting for? Our Heavenly Father cares for His children in ways that seem impossible to those who don't understand His love. But to those that do, God does the impossible. He does what they can't see. They don't know the love of the Heavenly Father. God's waiting for us just to get on the bus with Him. To stay there when everything else looks like I need to go down this way, this way, this way. But he said, this is where you need to be. And God cares for his children in ways that seem impossible. Today, we look at Moses because he did get it right. He learned and he got it right. No, he didn't get to step over in the promised land, but it says in the word of God, In the book of Jude, Michael the archangel disputed about the body of Moses, said to him, the the Lord rebuke you. I believe Moses, who stood at the transfiguration, was brought bodily in a resurrection before the general resurrection. God saw him and God called him faithful. What's your story? What looks impossible to you? What have you been looking at? What have you been seeing? Has the dream died Is it gone? You say, it's it's over for me. I'm 26, it's over. I'm 16, it's over. I'm 96, it's over. Stay where God has you until he says to move. And God can and will do something that will seem impossible. God prepares the future. And I told some of the folks last hour, some of those in their 90s, that you may have a ministry to one more person that may be that next person have an incredible ministry as a mother or father, as a pastor, as a leader, as an international missionary, as the next person that will change the world for God. 
Maybe an athlete that really uses it for God. Only one. Anybody can count the seeds in an apple. Only God can count the apples in a seed. God may have for you the best things in life right now, but he wants you to believe him. He wants you to step out. Can God call you faithful in little things? Has pastors come forward right now? You may have some excuse in your mind or think you did something so bad. Don't use an excuse. Just go with God. You don't have to have it all figured out. In fact, if you have it all figured out, it's probably a man thing anyway. When you're looking with eyes of faith, when you look on a campus that's filled with a lot of unbelief, what do you see? Do you see people coming to Jesus? Do you say, well, we have so few. How can we reach a whole campus? Well, we can't, but God can. You look at your college campus. What about your high school campus? What can happen in this campus? I'm only a high school student. I'm glad David didn't say I'm just a, a young guy. God can slay giants, but he wants you to believe. He wants you to trust. He wants you to go forward with him. Today's an opportunity. If you found yourself a little bit down, a little bit discounted because of maybe something you did in your life, listen to a wonderfully redemptive word. God called Moses faithful. Don't let the enemy rub your face in something to God so they already forgive you, but I want you to move on. Go, Jesus said, and sin what? No more. Because the best days of your ministry can be right in front of you. Things you'd look back and say, that's so crazy good. It's so crazy good. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to come today as a candidate for membership. We have a new members class going on right now. We'd love for you to come to be part of this family. This is a good church family. Whether you're a child or senior, there's a place for you here in this church, a place of love and care. We'd love for you to come and a place for service. We'd love for you to be part of this family. And today, if you don't understand about why we can trust God, what are you waiting for? God is trustworthy. He's called the good shepherd. The good shepherd did give his life for the sheep. It's us. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, but God laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity or sins of us all. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, took the sins of the world upon himself because he loved us. He is the good shepherd. He fought our battle. He died and took our hell upon himself. He bled and died placed in a tomb, rose three days later. He's offering eternal life as a gift. You receive him as your Savior, the only one that can save you. You receive him as your Lord. That is, you make him Lord of your life. You own who you are. You repent. God, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven, but I repent. I turn my back to that, and I turn to you. I receive the gift, but I also receive you as my Lord. I turn to you. I don't turn to my selfish ways. You told me I need to die to myself, pick up a cross and follow you. So I'm on that road, God, and I'll follow you. Yes, you'll hit bumps in the road. No one get done perfectly. But when you receive the gift at the cost of grace, you have to know about the cost of discipleship. And Jesus lays it out plainly. I'm asking you to stand. Don't wait. We'll not wait long. Come and respond as God has spoken to your heart today. Thank you. They've already sum up here. God bless you. This is the air I breathe.